Today, you are going to get a front row seat to the incredible Transvaal Golden Lions and Gauteng Lions career of the legendary Kurbis Visser. He's been a guest here before. Kurbis, it's great to have you back on Front Row Rugby. Thanks, Peter. Always a pleasure. Kubis, you began your career with Boerland and then you moved to Western Transvaal, as they were called in those days, and then to Transvaal. Tell me about how it uh, worked out that you ended up at Ellis Park. Well, I was, I was in school uh, in Paul in the Boerland and then started playing for the Boerland as a youngster and then got an opportunity uh, via my coach at that stage, who was the, the uh, coach at Western Transvaal, as it was called, as you know, and now the Leopards, uh, uh, Professor Marnie Sparmer. He needed a, a, a lock. Uh, they were at that stage the Curry Cup B champions, a really good side with the likes of Robert Dupree, uh, uh, Dion Oosthuizen, and uh, Flip van der Merwe. These guys uh, were playing for, for um, uh, uh, Knutzer. All these guys were playing uh, for Western Transvaal. Uh, and I saw it as, a, as an opportunity, you know, and then grabbed it and, and ended up in Poch which was two uh, really good years. I really enjoyed my, my studies there and playing for the, uh, the Milibura, as they called. Sounds like a great story. Now, you know what, Kubis, uh, very early on on this channel, I had Flace Fasahi on, and he told me that in those days, when you were making your debut as a youngster, a veteran player from the opposition would try and get a punch in, almost as if to say, welcome to the Curry Cup. Did you have a similar experience? Yeah, it was always tough for a youngster, especially in the forwards. To I mean, I made my debut. I just turned twenty, you know, uh, for Boerland, and then there were established guys like Errol Tobias and and uh, Martin van der Merwe, Franz Marie, uh, Chris Luman, uh, Richard Fisaki. All these guys have been playing for years for Boerland, and and uh, as a snot-nosed youngster, it's quite tough, you know. So they they sort of try and bully you, uh, the opposition. I made my debut against. Uh, Natal now called the Sharks, and they already had a very established side. You know, Andre Boeta, the very Flace Fasahi, uh, like you've mentioned, he was playing for them. Uh, Cliffy Brown, uh, Rob Hankinson, these guys were, were, were all seasoned players. So, of course, they try and sort of bully you and, and, and keep you in your cage. But uh, I, I suppose that's part of survival, you know. And then I have to ask you, when you became a veteran, uh, did you hand some of that out yourself or had the game become too professional by then? I, I, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll take the fifth on that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kourvis, I was looking through some of the footage, uh, and there's not really a lot out there on YouTube, but we do know that that Transvaal team in the early and mid-90s was formidable. Uh, you guys won the Lion Cup three years in a row. You won the Curry Cup two years in a row, but you did get to the Curry Cup final as well four years in a row. The first two of those actually ended in defeat. How much of a sucker punch was that feeling? Well, it, it was a very special side. It was, it, was, it was regarded in 93 and 94 as the best provincial side in world rugby. I mean, we won, as you said, fortunate to have won everything. And it was five Curry Cups in a row. I mean, the first one, when Harry Fleur was the coach, we played against uh, Northern Transvaal. And that was my first Curry Cup final at, at Loftus in Pretoria. Um, when Nas Boerta was a flyer, and, and um, it just, again, that day, Nas just showed why he was ranked as probably the best flyer in world rugby, tactically and, and, and overall. I mean, he was really a genius, and he kicked us to pieces uh, that day. We, we came as, as the favorite, but he was just at his very best. And then five Curry Cups in a row, we, we lost that one. And then the next one, we lost against uh, the, the Sharks, Natal. Uh, and and, and the, 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 uh, 
victory came out came outside from 93, 94. 93, you remember, we played uh, again the Sharks, but in Durban. Um, it was uh, it was a, a huge uh, game. It was probably two Springbok sides playing each other, and we pulled that one through. You know, we really had a good game, and then the next one uh, in '94 was against the Free State, as you would might recall. It wasn't at the Free State Stadium because they were busy renovating, so we played at the cricket ground next door, which was quite unusual. It was a very tough surface, but and at that stage we put up a record score against the Free State. I think 50 odd. Uh, uh, points against them, which was a, a record for a Karika final. But this was a special side. I must say it was a side that Kitch Christie put together um, that won everything in 93. It started with the Yardley Gold Cup, the, the, the Super Sports Series in the uh, early season. Uh, then the Lion Cup, uh, the Super uh, Rugby title against Auckland, the formidable Auckland side at Ellis Park with 70,000 people. It was an amazing uh, game of rugby as well. You know, the likes of Sean Fitzpatrick, uh, uh, Tui Gamala, uh, Michael Jones, all these guys uh, which played for the All Blacks that stage were forming the backbone of this Auckland side, which was also regarded as a, as a brilliant side. Um, but we had, a, we had an outstanding season. Uh, I, I must say I was very fortunate to be part of that team, uh, which to this day uh, I regard as probably the best provincial side I've ever played in. We'll talk about Kitch in a second, but I just want to go back to that 1992 period when Harry Fulyun was in charge of the team. Talk to me about him and his coaching philosophy. Harry was a guy that came on the scene with, with great new ideas. He was regarded maybe as a, as, a, as a loose cannon at some stage by people because he brought new, fresh ideas to the, to the table. Um, I remember we had a guy called Chris von Lochenberg who was a fitness guru who came to the uh, to the fore, uh, and, and we frowned upon this guy. It's strange. Well, we thought it was strange because we've never seen this these tr uh, fitness training methods for rugby players, which he brought from his gym days, you know, and, and uh, uh, um, we thought it was quite uh, quite strange, but he proved himself. Chris is a very bright guy, very knowledgeable, and he, and he got us fit, you know, extremely fit. One thing Harry really uh, um, uh, was serious about is you can't play rugby if you're not superbly fit. Same with Kitch, uh, and I say I think same with any knowledgeable coach. But uh, Harry was a guy that that brought a new brand, a new style of rugby to the to the Lions, uh, to Transvaal, an exciting uh, style of rugby, running rugby, which we also enjoyed, and it, it it actually attracted crowds to to watch this team play because they played an exciting brand of rugby. I said we'd talk about Kitch as well. What was it about him that was so special? I think to start with, Kitch was a, 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 a guy that had good knowledge of people. He knew personalities. He knew how to work with certain individuals because I think very much uh, true the fact that you can't treat every guy the same. Every guy's personality is different as long as you gel them together, uh, that they buy into the same game plan, the same dream, the same philosophy – to then make up a team. I've seen teams and I've played in teams that were very talented individually but did not perform as a unit for whatever reason. And the other way around, I've seen in uh, mediocre uh, sides with all respect, but they, they gelled together and performed very well as a team. And I suppose that's one of the things that some coaches has that ability and some unfortunately don't. And Kitch was one that really had that ability. He could gel people together off and on the field, very, very uh, important. Um, he knew uh, which guys to, 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 to room together, which guys that will make up uh, um, a, uh, a special unit, you know, that, that will understand uh, what they're doing 
um, understand the, the philosophy, buy into the philosophy, uh, and, uh, and, and play as a team, because it's a team sport. There's no point that you have the most brilliant, talented individuals, but they play for, uh, you know, for themselves and not for the team. We did mention a little bit earlier that Transvaal won everything in sight. That included three Lion Cups in a row. How much of a shame do you think it is that that competition doesn't exist anymore? I, I thought it was a great competition. It was a, it was a more relaxed competition. And by saying that, uh, than the Curry Cup, uh, I, I'm not taking away anything of this uh, cup, the coveted Lion Cup, which was a beautiful trophy, in my opinion. And, and, and it also allowed all the teams in South Africa to participate, even the Karika B or the smaller units, got an opportunity to participate against the bigger dogs, the bigger guns, which I think is a great idea. So um, that, unfortunately, is no longer, which I think is a, is a shame. Uh, in the Curry Cup, you have to, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, strength against strength, which is a good thing. But the, the smaller sides sort of struggle to get their way into the Curry Cup, even if they end up top of the Curry Cup B or the B section. It'll be very hard for them uh, to get into the, uh, those days into the Curry Cup. Hey, if you're enjoying this video, why not consider becoming a patron? I'll put the link on the screen as well as in the description box and a QR code on the screen for you as well. There will be great benefits for members. Let's get back to the interview. Kubis, I remember in 1998, the Blue Bulls won the Curry Cup and Joost van der Westhuizen was their captain at that uh, moment. And he commented, and I thought it was quite odd, he said that winning the Curry Cup was better than winning the World Cup. You won both of those trophies. What do you say? Look, I think it's, it's, it's an interesting statement. And, and, and I do know this, to add on to what you said, uh, there are many Springboks that I know of, not many, but there are Springboks who won a World Cup but never a Curry Cup. And it bothers them. They say that's something really missing in the, in the, in the uh, trophy cabinet. I was fortunate to play in five Curry Cup finals, of which we won two. And it, it's a special, special competition. Make no mistake about it. It's the oldest provincial competition in world rugby. It's one of the most beautiful, if not the most beautiful, trophy, in my opinion. And I can tell you this, uh, I've been very fortunate that the the uh, the lemonade from uh, sipping the lemonade from that trophy is very special. I have no doubt, and it was a golden period uh, for the union, and you were obviously fortunate enough to be involved in that, led by Francois Pinot. Talk to us a little bit about him and his leadership abilities. I think every captain is different. Um, I recall it was a huge controversy. Uh, you'll remember this uh, in the World Cup where. Um, there had to be a choice made between uh, Francois and uh, Tian Strauss by the coaching staff. Now, obviously, as as human uh, and as a nature, a human nature, and as every coach, uh, every coach will obviously first start with the core of the team that he coaches, the provincial side, when he becomes a national coach. I mean, it just makes all the sense in the world for lots of reasons. And at that stage, also, uh, the, the Transvaal side were the best provincial side. So it was just logical that the the, uh, the, the core of this uh, World Cup squad will be used to build a World Cup team that, that, probably, that would hopefully win the World Cup. Uh, Francho was the captain of the, of the, of our, of the Lions side, and obviously he'll be the, he would have been the captain of the World Cup side. Saying this, Tian Strauss, in my opinion, was he good enough to be in the World Cup squad? Absolutely. And he should have made up uh, part of the, the World Cup squad. Unfortunately, the other side of the coin is this, that their personalities would have clashed. There's no doubt about that. It would not have been good for the team. I can mention also Skulk Brits, 
and a John Smith scenario, uh, where I confronted Jake tongue in cheek, Jake White, and say, but Scalp Brits at that stage were by far the informed hook, and he said, yes, that might be true, but for the team, it's better than John Smith play because his leading abilities, uh, leadership abilities, and his uh, aura that he brings to the side will be better for the team. And that's exactly what I'm trying to say about Tian Strauss. I felt sorry for Tian. He's an outstanding player. He later played for Australia in the World Cup, as you would recall. Uh, but he was definitely good enough to be part of the 95 squad. There's, there's no doubt in my mind about that. But for obvious reasons, and just discussed, it was unfortunately, uh, that's the, the bad side of a coach. You know, you've got to make sometimes those kind of decisions that may be popular on the one side, but very unpopular on the other. Let's move upstairs. Uh, Dr. Louis Late was the man at the helm. And I think it's fair to say that he divided opinion. Uh, but obviously, I think uh, from your point of view, uh, you would see him in a more positive light. What can you tell us about him? I think he was a remarkable man. Obviously, as you just said, you know, he had, he had like all of us, you have friends and you have enemies. Uh, you have uh, uh, different opinions from different people. I think you, one must always judge somebody on if he brings the bacon home or not. Dr. Late uh, certainly did. When he took over at Transvaal, they were financially in trouble. The Ellis Park Stadium were owing hundreds of millions to the financiers and so forth. And he turned it around into a profitable, very profitable union that very few other unions could say, if any. Um, he paid off Ellis Park and he made the Transvaal team the most successful provincial team in world rugby. Um, what more would you want from your president? Indeed. And then going into 1996, rugby had become professional and there was this new competition called the Super 12. How much different was that to the Super 10? Not really. It was exactly the same competition. It just, they just added two teams uh, and as that grew. So it, it, it is a, a Super Rugby, I think, is an, it's an incredible competition. It is the best of the Southern Hemisphere that play each other, as you know. Um, it's very tough. Uh, I think it was physically and mentally more tough for the South African sides because of the traveling, the time zones and so forth. You know, the jet lag, the so-called dreaded jet lag and so forth, um, which is true. It, it, it definitely exists. Um, but that's just the way it is, you know, uh, and it's a competition which I'm very sorry South Africa is no longer part of, which I believe is a mistake. Very interesting indeed. Uh, Kobus, moving into 1998, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it was the Lions, the Cheetahs, and I think it was Northern Free State who combined to become the Cats. A lot of people at the time thought that that would be the best South African super rugby team because of the quality, especially from the Lions and the Cheetahs, but it didn't quite work out that way. Why do you think that was? I think simply, if you, it boils down to one thing, um, the Cats had no identity. Who were the Cats? Um, uh, how do you belong to, to an, a body that doesn't have history, that doesn't have uh, culture, all those kind of things? Uh, yes, the Cheetahs, yes, the Lions, um, but the Cats... Um, no history whatsoever, and, and, and I think it was, it was sort of a disaster from day one. Um, it didn't work out and, and, and didn't last very long. Um, it's easier for a player to aspire to play for a team like the Lions, the Bulls, the Stormers, whoever who's got history, who's got uh, uh, um, character, uh, and you want to play. You grow up wanting to play for that, for that province, want to wear that jersey. I see you, you're wearing the Western Province jersey. Uh, young kids in Western Province aspire to play in that jersey because of players before them, because of history. 
uh, and so forth and so forth. So the Cats didn't have that. So it was a disaster from day one. And speaking of history, the Curry Cup for so many years was the jewel in the crown of South African rugby. I think it's fair to say that that is not the case these days. What's your opinion on the way that the Curry Cup uh, finds itself within South African rugby right now? Obviously, the world stages open up, you know, the URC and the Heineken Cup and so forth, which is great. And it's, it's wonderful for South African sides to participate. Um, but I hope the Curry Cup still has got legs. I believe it does because of the history, the rich history of the Curry Cup. I think the Curry Cup, maybe the, 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 the focus shifts a bit for the Curry Cup. It becomes still a competition that uh, any South African player would want to win, would want to lift and want to play in, uh, in that competition. But also it becomes more and more a stepping stone, I think, for young talent coming through, identifying young talent, giving them opportunity to play at a certain level. And if they're good enough and if they make that level, then they step into a URC or a Heineken Cup or hopefully play for South Africa. Okay, Corvus, who was your toughest opponent? Yo, how long is, this, is a piece of string? It's like, it's like uh, with all respect to that question, Peter, it's like, it's like I have this thing when they pick a cricketer of the century or a racket player of the century, which is, which is actually ludicrous. How do you compare a batsman with a bowler, with a wicketkeeper, with a fielder? Even in 10-year periods, uh, everything changes. Techniques, ball, bat, all those kind of things. So anyway, it, I've always maintained this, that I regard any guy that I play against as a tough opponent for the simple reason and you have to respect him. If he plays at that level, he's definitely good enough. So make no mistake. It's always those guys with the not big names that rattles your cage. You know, he wants to prove something as yourself when you made your debut. Um, you would like to play for that province. You would like to be the best in your position. You would like to play for your country. So, so the young guns are always very, very dangerous. They had time to, to, to study the opposition. And you've got to be... Uh, on your toes the whole time. I, I, I have great respect for all the people that I played against. Um, uh, and, and, uh, and, and I also think you, you start to learn the strengths and the weaknesses of each opposition player. You know, this guy is a great line jumper. That guy is very tough in the rucks and moors. That guy with ball in hand is very difficult to bring to the ground. So bottom line is I respected every guy I played against. Kubis, you represented Transvaal. They became the Gauteng Lions, then they became the Golden Lions. Is there a particularly funny moment that you can share with us from your time at Ellis Park? Oh, there's plenty, you know. And, and, and funny enough, there's always a hooker somewhere in the equation. They're a very different species. I, I'm not sure their mothers even love them, um, but I, <laughs> that's just the way it is. Hookers are very special. I remember we played England uh, in '94. And England had a rampant side. You know, they just beat the box at, at Loftus, you will recall. And the next Saturday, we played them at Ellis Park. Um, they regarded us as a, as a fourth test in that series because we had a really good side. So they picked that same test team that beat the box at Loftus to play us a provincial side at Ellis Park. Again, it was jam-packed, incredible atmosphere um, uh, and, and we really pumped. I mean, we had, a, we, we had a special team, I must say. I was very fortunate to play in that side. And we drilled England at, at, uh, at, uh, at Ellis Park. And it was obviously chaos in the newspapers that a provincial side just beat the side that beat the national side. But anyway, so, so uh, Martin Johnson was my, was my direct opponent. And he, and he, he sort of uh, ruffled up your, uh, 
Johan Leroux a bit uh, and so forth in 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 a in a ruck, and now Joe, you know, he was wanting to get uh, uh, payback time. So I said to him, you know, during the game, just relax. You know, it, it's a it's a big piece of grass. It's eighty minutes. I'm sure you'll get a chance somewhere to sort of return the favour. Uh, <laughs> it was on the twenty-two uh, in, in front of their post uh, on the touchdown side of the restaurant, as you would remember. And it's the biggest punch that I've ever seen in my life. I mean, Joe just knocked Martin cold. The ref luckily didn't see this. So Martin was off the field and he and he was concussed, unfortunately, and he had to fly back. So, so that very next week, we played the the junior box played England in Kimberley, and there was a bit of a shuffle again. It was a very un. Uh, inexperienced referee, and you could just sense, Peter, there's going to be a there's going to be a scuffle. It's just it, the time is is it's coming. It's building the tension. The guys were like really niggly, and Victor Ajomo, the flanker, was packing on the tight end side. I was behind Johan, and as the scrum hits, he pulled Johan's outside arm, and it collapses, and we reform, and it collapses again. And the third time, stands up and he says to the referee, "Come here." And the poor ref was like, really, you know, yes, what is it? He says, and he points to Victor. He says, tell this oak that I've already sent his, his captain back home. Ask him, does he want to fly as well? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great story. Kubis, uh, what are you up to these days? I'm in, a, in the coffee trade. So, I, I, first, I, you know, I'm not involved in coaching. I just don't think I've got the, the patience for it. Um, but... I try and give back to the game via television, you know, involve a super sport and commentary. Um, and I present the Monday night show, Super Rugby, which is a talk show with guests and so forth, which I really enjoy. Um, um, it's, it's good fun. And, and, I, and I try and, and make it as humorous as possible, but in the same time, with respect, informative as possible. And I hope I, I, I bring something to the table uh, to the game via that. And then in the coffee trade, you know, we, we've been, uh, Belinda and myself, we've been busy with the coffee trade for the last 23, 24 years. We have our own coffee brands, Visanov Coffee and Cafe Dolce. We have our own roastery. Um, and uh, yeah, that's quite a tough trade to be in, you know. As you know, in, in the Middle East as well, coffee is growing immensely in the world. We, pro- we can't produce enough coffee, good coffee for people to drink. But that's interesting and exciting. Um, and I think people are getting more and more knowledgeable about coffee as well by the day. I've sipped some of that coffee and I've eaten at some of those restaurants and I've seen you and heard you on the TV many, many times. And all of those things are always a pleasure. Quibus, it was lovely having you on Front Row Rugby again and I hope that we can have you on again in the future. Thanks, my friend. Always, anytime. Have a great day.